Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of Winners and Winers Radio. I am your host, Scott Steen, lead handicapper at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm your co-host, Scott Reichel, senior handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And together we make up Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. All right. Scotty, welcome back. You uh, made it back from Vegas intact. How'd you, how did you end up overall? Up, down? Ended up up. Uh, it was a fun time. I can't say that I hit some massive 16-pick parlay to win about 800 grand. Right. But I definitely made money. It was nice. Uh, football was very good for me on Sunday. I hit that teaser four play of the day. Also ended up hitting a teaser over the weekend, which was nice. So overall, good. Ended up winning the Monday Night Football game as well. I uh, had Hertz over 21 and a half completions. Garbage time, beautiful thing, because he ended up with about 24, 25. And I know you did pretty well in the game yesterday as well. I did hit everything in sight. I had um, what I thought was uh, a pretty pretty much the, the gimme of the day was Pollard over 32 and a half rushing yards. He hit it with three minutes and 22 seconds left in the first quarter. Um, I also had the uh, Cowboys minus three and a half, had the Cowboys team total over. And had Pollard's first carry to be over three and a half yards, it was eleven. So nice. I also forgot that over the weekend, I forgot to mention it. I won my Tampa Bay Rays bet to win the AL East because they officially clinched. Oh, that's right. Congratulations. That's uh, what did what did that pay at the time? What do you two something two and a quarter? Let's just say that it was a very nice plus price. Okay. All right. Well, well I mean, tell us about tell us what the plus price was. Brag on it. Uh, so I want to make sure I get the exact number here because I know that it was definitely higher than it should have been. Uh, so I'll get back to you on that in a second. Okay. All right. No worries. Look at that. All right. Look at this. I'm just, I'm watching the replay here. Somebody, somebody from the Mariners, they had the shift on Scott. They bunted down the third baseline for a hit. I got a plus 285. Plus 285. Okay. I I knew you got plus 200 something. I couldn't remember. So yeah, nice price. Congratulations on hitting that. Thanks. My Braves is still looking okay, but, uh, we, we, I ain't exactly lock it up on Monday. So at least the Phillies lost one game to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's really about all you can hope for. That's some of those teams playing out the string is playing some ugly baseball right now. You know, Scott, you know, speaking of big parlays, we forgot to mention that the guy that had, we we talked about it, had the 16-team parlay and needed Detroit to win for, what, 700 and change, right? Nice little PR move uh, coming up by BetMGM. Yep, they paid him. They paid him off at the fifteen parlay, fifteen team parlay price. He he made one hundred and thirty three thousand dollars on his twenty five dollar bet. That's is that like a bad B jackpot for the sports betting. That's business? pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty much what it is. That's pretty much what it is. I think that was a. I thought that was a great move, and you, and you nailed it. It was a, a perfect PR move. They are going to get, I believe, well in excess of that much increased business just by doing that. Well, I would do it solely for the baseball ones, but yes. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know, God, that's they really have put some team totals up at go, at great prices that are just they're hard they're hard to beat, Scott. I think I think hard's not the right word. They're impossible. impossible. To beat. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. So, welcome back. Glad you had a good flight. I know you got to stop in Dallas. Yep, first, stopped off in Dallas. First time in the Big Jerry D, Scott. I didn't leave the plane. I know. I saw a couple of Cowboys jerseys, but I didn't have to transfer, which was nice. So I just stayed on the plane, got a new seat, and ended up taking a nap for about two hours. That's great. You can sleep sleep on the plane. Very cool. Was it and was it full? Uh no, actually. Decent amount of empty seats on the connecting. First flight to Dallas was packed, but the second one was not. All right. All right. Well, very good. 
All right, bud. Well, let's get to it. We kind of had to. We're, we're not gonna. We're not gonna lie to you, folks. We we kind of had to scratch a little bit to find uh, to fill out our first two categories, but we got there. We got there. So let's take a look, Scott. Who took it in the shorts? Now it's not going to be a huge number of people, but there are some pretty bad beats out there. Let's find out who needs to pick up that phone and call the cops. All right, my friend, well, let's get her rolling in the major leagues. How about that? If you had the Chicago White Sox on the run line, they're playing Detroit, you're in pretty good shape. They lead 6-1 to one after four innings. They're up 8-2 after seven. Just coast it on home. Put that, uh, put that Chicago pen to work and just cash your tickets. Nope. Just like the rest of the season, Scott, somebody forgot to tell the Tigers that you're not very good. They went out there and scored five runs in the bottom of the eighth. Wasn't enough to take the lead, but it was enough to screw up your run line if you had the White Sox, because that game finished up at 8-7. to If you had the run line with the Sox, you tear that ticket up. Call the cops. And looking at the second one, if you had a player prop in the Monday night game, Dak Prescott over half a touchdown. Now, of course, that is not passing touchdowns. That's half rushing or receiving. That was a nice plus price at around 2-1. to one. He was marked short on a fourth and goal QB sneak. And let's just say the angle seemed to show that he crossed the line, but it wasn't definitive, quote-unquote, enough to overturn the call in the field. So it stood. It looked like he was in the end zone, but they made it stand, and he was ruled short turnover on downs. What, what, did, they, what did they want? The defensive players to sign a certificate of authenticity that he made the cross the goal line? Scott, he had that overhead shot. It looked like he was. It looked like his waist was on the line, and he's got he's got the ball about chest high. I, and then and then, just as icing, he reached end. over for icing on the cake. I don't understand in any way, shape, or form how that wasn't called a touchdown. And it made think, it made no difference to the game, made no difference to the total, made no difference to the halftime. They scored about three minutes later. They because Philly they didn't do anything. They punted, and Dallas ran it right back down. But the difference was. If you had Dak Prescott to score a touchdown on his uh, little feet, yeah, you got brutalized at plus 208, man. You got to call the cops. Yeah, I know uh, somebody messaged me on Twitter, uh, actually sent me a picture of a parlay that he had for the same game. And his only pick that lost was Dak to score a touchdown. Oh. Oh. So there were people out there who had that. Man. Well, Scott, if you decided to kind of fade us and not believe in flexing magic with the Seattle Mariners and the uh, Oakland A's. Hey, that's on you kids. Cause if you had the A's first five plus a half run, you know what? Surprisingly, you were in good shape. A's got out to an early lead beat up on poor Chris flexing. They led three, nothing after two innings, but the Mariners, Scott, you can't stop them. You could only hope to contain them. And the A's pitching couldn't even do that. Scored three runs in the bottom of the third. You're like, well, okay, I still got a half a run to play with. Just two more innings. I can get out of this. Nope, because they were just getting warmed up, baby. Uh, they put up a five spot in the bottom of the fourth, including Mitch Hanniger hitting the first of his two three-run shots into the Seattle bullpen. The Athletics ended up trailing eight to four after five innings, and spoiler alert, it didn't get any better for the A's. Definitely, uh pretty rough spot there when you score three runs before you could blink and you assume like as long as the pitching isn't atrocious I should get there and mm -hmm. it's also assuming that Oakland's going to stop scoring right you score four runs in the first five 
I'd assume you're good there about at least 70 something percent of the time. Wouldn't you say so? I would say that'd be right. Yeah. So yeah, not in this case. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Well, there was some nice, easy wins. These are the people that were uh, not having to sweat it because they were chilled out, having a nice beverage, and they were sitting in the rocking chair. So the first one was on the Reds' money line or the Reds' run line against the Pirates, and the Reds scored four runs in the first, four runs in the fourth. Pittsburgh only scored one run through nine innings, and the Reds won 13-1. to don't get a lot easier than that, but I'll, I'm going to challenge it. I talked about this a little bit. I kind of did a, a little spoiler up front. If you had Tony Pollard over 32 and a half, like I did, uh, he had five carries for 36 yards in the first quarter. Uh, that bet cashed, like I said, with 332 left in the opening frame. Nice, easy victory for us. That's a nice one-two punch there, Scott. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott. Yep, Pollard, very, very good player. But anyway, looking at baseball for the last rocking chair, if you had the Royals, Indians, first five over five. First of all, Coers on the mound. Odds makers, what are you doing? First five should be, what do you think, 12 and a half with Coer on the mound? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Anyway, Coer was terrible once again. Shocker. Uh, you had seven combined runs in the first three innings, and it was five to three after five. So, yeah, if you had over five there, one team scored five by themselves, which definitely helps you catch that pretty easily. I feel like you're being pretty hard on young Jackson Coar, Scott. He's just, I heard just, you spell Coar with four A's. <laughs> God. I'm going to uh, keep doing it. I mean, it's a shame he has basically one start left to end the year because it might be a little while before we see him again in the majors. You know, he speaks highly of you. I, I really feel, you know, that's just not good. I heard he's got a great personality. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, he's, again, those guys are all young. They're t- they're... See, you can say I'm being harsh. You're the one who had a ton of money on Cleveland today. I so, did. So, you know, I faded we're on the same page here. I just said it publicly. I faded Coar all day. That's right. You just went out and said it. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it yesterday when we did our farm as well. And he's just... He has promise. There's a lot of pitchers struggled in their first season, and especially it's been about a third of a season for him. I think he's made eight starts. So He can turn it around, but he's got to either sharpen up his pitches a little bit, his pitch selection, or I'm not really sure, but right now none of his pitches work. I don't I don't want to tip our hand about what our bet the farm play may be five days from now, but <laughs> we might have to take a long look at young Jackson Coar. All right, Scott, let's find out. And this was this is one that this is all you, buddy. You and I didn't necessarily agree with this, but you know what? You had a long flight. I was feeling generous, so I'm going to let you do it. Let's find out who's strapping on the golden feed bag today. And spoiler alert, you were there for a little bit this afternoon. Let's find out who is donkey of the day. <laughs> All right. So it's very rare where you can actually roast a head coach on a team that won a game by 20-plus points. Put up 40, 41 points, one by 20. Scott is angry at Mike McCarthy. Hit it, son. I have to because Mike McCarthy's clock management has been a disaster since he was in Green Bay. Then he took a year off and claimed that he was into all these analytics and everything that was basically a lie at this point. And well, At least he went yeah, for it on he, fourth and one, buddy. He had some awful, awful clock management to end the first half. Now, Dallas was cruising. They were up handily. I believe it was 20-7 to at the time. Yep. And yet, Philly ended up having the ball right after the two-minute warning. And it was second and 31 
at Philly's own 25-yard line with 155 left. Dallas had a couple of timeouts to go. Philly throws a couple of dump-off passes, whatever. So you're thinking logically, Dallas, who has 20 points, including a fourth-and-goal stuff at the at the goal line, so they arguably should have 27 points at this point in time. But Philly hasn't gotten really any stops for the entire game. And yet, you'd assume Dallas would get the ball back with about a minute and 10 left because Dallas would burn the timeouts, you get the ball back, maybe kick a field goal before halftime. Instead, McCarthy decided that on third and 24, after a seven-yard play on second and 31, let me just not call a timeout and let Philly burn all 40 seconds off the clock. Then they threw a screen pass to Miles Sanders, picked up a decent amount of yards, fourth and five at Dallas's 45, and McCarthy decides, you know what? I'm not going to call a timeout again. To make matters worse, the referee walked over to McCarthy and asked McCarthy if he wanted to take a timeout, and McCarthy said no. The referee walked over, assuming that the obvious move was to call a timeout, and he still did not call a timeout. I'm lost at what happened at the end of the first half. Blew my mind. Okay. You feel better? A little bit, but my question, I have one question for you, by the way, to end it. McCarthy also scored a touchdown going forward on fourth and one or fourth and goal mm-hmm. on that pass to Wilson. You kick a field goal, you go up 16, yep. went for it anyway. They yep. ended up going up 19. Yep. The, the, that decision was questionable, but it worked I agree. out. I thought it was, I thought that was the wrong decision. I thought you should I thought go it was up. the wrong decision. I thought you should anyway, take the sure thing worked, to go up 16. It worked out. But the question I have for you is after you score that touchdown, I go up 19. Mm-hmm. Why did you not go for the two point conversion? <laughs> I, I, there were a lot of questions with how McCarthy was handling the math. The main one I had was the clock management for the last two minutes of the first half. But if you score a touchdown after making it on fourth and goal, why would you not go for two to try to make it a three touchdown lead? Yeah, 20, 20, 20 points does does you nothing. Twenty versus nineteen, there's, there's no difference. You're not. I, you're not. Dad was making. You're not kicking field goals. Argument. That if you end up going for two and missing, mm-hmm. then Eagles can tie the game with two touchdowns, two two-point conversions, and, and a field, field goal. goal. I don't care. Go for two there. Don't that's, overthink this. That's not the level McCarthy was thinking at. I think you're definitely I th- not. I think his, your dad's logic was, I don't know, we're up points. Kick it. Your dad was about th- three levels deeper than McCarthy was, I'm guessing. That was his argument. My argument was go for two. It, yeah. It's really just not that complicated. You could give you could give McCarthy like till tomorrow to think of that. And I don't think he would still come up with that entry or dad. So I mentioned one specific example with the my the main uh, premise was going to be the first half, but we talked about the fourth and goal where they went for it. The second time where we thought maybe kick the field goal there. Then they didn't go for two after getting the touchdown. You had a couple of really bad McCarthy mistakes, even though they blew the te- even though they blew the Eagles out. Is that fair? Yes, I suppose so. So that's why we're throwing it in. Okay. All you right. find me a better donkey. With that, I pass. All right. Very good. Quick reminder, guys. You are listening to Winners and Winners Radio. Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. So, Scott. We don't always have one, but we definitely have a lot of them today. This is like you have a whole family of disappointing children. And you know, I know you don't have kids yet, but I I have kids. And a lot of times you just have to go to them and say, you know what? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Is it possible for you to, can you customize the names of them so you don't see brass? No, it's not at all. That's a shame. Yeah, it really is. So... 
Scott, this is the one we wanted to do this yesterday, but we had, you know, the, the Monday show is pretty jam packed full of material. I'm disappointed, Scott, but I'm not mad at the rookie quarterbacks in the NFL. Can anybody here play this game? I heard that uh, Trey Lance actually has had a couple of touchdowns. He's the only one that isn't a for sure negative at this point. Can we agree with that? I think Lance might have played maybe three snaps in his career, and he's already been more productive than about 80% of the rookie quarter. <laughs> so let's to recap the list. We've got the number one draft pick, Trevor Lawrence. How's he been, Scott? Well, uh, that fadeaway flea flicker pick six, I feel like kind of sums up his pro career so far. Wouldn't you say so? Oh, my God. That was just that was just a thing of beauty for uh, for those of us that had Arizona. Cardinals he, teasers. Thank you very much. Warren. He has uh 54.2% of his passes. He's, uh, he's thrown five touchdowns and seven interceptions Been sacked five times his quarterback rating of 60.3. That's not ideal. Second, Scott, the guy that you're kind of familiar with there in New York is Zach Wilson. And how's the BYU graduate doing? He's uh, been very, very profitable to the under. The Jets are kind of an under machine, aren't they? Uh, they really are because they have scored, I believe it is no touchdowns in the last eight quarters. That's beautiful. So he has completed 55.2% of his passes, two TDs, seven interceptions with a quarterback rating of 51.6. By the way, this isn't this isn't QBR. This is quarterback rating, so and that's inflated to get you to like one fifty. Uh, yes, you can certainly like QBR is supposed to be to a hundred. Right, passer ratings one fifty eight point three. Correct, correct. All right. So next on the list, who is third quarterback taken, Scott? Well, you was had, it Trey Lance? Right. Well, yeah, Trey Lance, who's barely played, but I'm going to give him a pass because okay. he has actually looked okay in about the four snaps he's been on the field. Okay. He hasn't, he hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't thrown any interceptions yet. Yeah, he's been a goal line guy, and he scored the touchdown against Green Bay. He had the pass against Detroit. So, for if, touchdowns. Every, oh, we're gonna if, give Lance a pass. if everybody else is getting a D or an F, which I assume they are, he gets an I. I'm giving Lance a B minus for playing, for showing up for maybe 10% of the classes and still getting about a, an A on the actual exam. All right. I'm, I'm giving him an incomplete, but <laughs> I, I, I'm joking about the A, but relatively comparing ev him to everyone else, he might be the star of the class <laughs> through the first three games. Okay. So. Next on the list, Mac Jones. Mac Jones okay, um, no. was pretty good to start. Belichick had done a nice job of keeping him in favorable situations, keeping him out of trouble. That was not the case against a pretty darn good New Orleans Saints defense. Apparently, Scott, when you get a number of starters back, it makes a difference. And Mac Jones, his numbers... He is uh, completing 67.5% of his passes, and he has thrown two touchdown passes, just three interceptions, been sacked six times. His quarterback rating, 79.1, Scott. That is outstanding. Mm -hmm. Now, it's like, it feels like when the, it's an animal house and the dean's reading through the grade point average of like everybody in the fraternity, and it's like, yeah, 2.1, you're the top of the class. Congratulations. <laughs> Blue Tarski, 0. 0. 0.0. Says here, you don't have a grade point average. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Mm -hmm. And did we save the best for last, Scott? Well, I'll let you do the honors because 
It's Chicago the, fans had a pretty rough Sunday. It's the guy that's going to bring the Bears back to glory, buddy. I yeah. believe Twitter appointed him as a Hall of Famer after about a quarter of preseason. It's our old pal Justin Fields from Ohio State. Scott, you and I, we were not high on Mr. Fields. We thought he would benefit from another year at college. Is that a fair assessment of where we were at? Yeah, I thought that he was raw. Of course, he's got the athleticism to be very talented, but I've roasted Alabama quarterbacks in the past because mm-hmm. when you have a lot of great weapons and the defenders on the other side can't keep up with the weapons, I can't really judge how good of a quarterback you actually are. And Fields had some really, really bad games against Northwestern in the Big Ten title game, mm-hmm. against Indiana last year. There were some signs that I saw which told me that it, against quality defenses, he had the, let's just say, occasional lack of vision when it came to making proper decisions. Is that fair? Yeah. The Northwestern defensive alignments and, and, and disguises gave him a they, they great deal the of trouble. Title game. Absolutely yeah. true. So young master fields, Scott, he has completed 40% of his passes on the season. Averaging 3.9 yards per attempt. He has thrown no uh, no interceptions, or, or uh, just one interception. So that's good, right? Uh, yes. No touchdown passes. He's thrown for 138 yards total. Now, I know he's only appeared, he's, he's appeared in all three games. He's only started one. And he has a quarterback rating of 39.9. Now, I'm looking here, Scott. It says you have a quarterback rating of 36.3. So that's pretty impressive, and it's really close to Justin Fields. And Fields had the rushing touchdown in week one Mm -hmm. against the Rams. So you take that out solely based on passing. I'm technically a better passer than Justin Fields. Just saying. (laughs) You are too, technically. That's awful. That is is awful. So, okay. So we've roasted these cats and we just... Of course, we're being being harsh on Fields, but we'll we'll circle back to these guys. We're not actually going to be that hard on Fields. No, I mean, it's early and and you've got to put them in good situations. So yeah, I'm going to roast Nagy on a rant, so you can go first. No, that's, no, that's fine. And we've got, we've, we've got Nagy coming up by the way, buddy, but it's, so it's, it's really hard if I just defend Jackson Kowar as being young and inexperienced in his rookie season, I have to, I have to defend some of these rookie quarterbacks. Now, I think you and I will agree that Justin Fields, I don't know, is he in the worst situation or is Trevor Lawrence in the worst situation? I'm going to go with Lawrence because Chicago still has a good defense. So even if you can turn Fields into a game manager, you can still find ways to win games. Right. I have no idea how Jacksonville's supposed to win games. Well, and that's, yeah, that's the thing because... And your coach might potentially ditch you after a year because nobody really knows if Urban Meyer is fully committed to Jacksonville. He claims he is, but it's a lot easier to say that before you're arguably one in 17. Now, does he, one did, in 16. did he still like keep his house in, in Florida when like, was he living in Gainesville or what? Does ha- he have somebody looking for places in the Pasadena area? Do, do, do you think he's a hot commodity in college? Yes. He's one of the best college coaches of all time. Now, of course, you don't think you don't think that goes to you're going to have players with character issues. You're going to have some issues when he leaves the school. But yeah, I don't think Ohio State regrets having him. They want a title. Do you? No, that's that's really what it's all about, isn't it? The fallout at the end is always going to be a lot of headlines and a lot of chaos. But the Warriors are going to be fun. It'll be long gone by then. That's fine. 
Do you, do you think you think USC fans would trade their integrity for their national championships that they won with Reggie Bush? I think that they still cherish those years yeah, with Pete Carroll. I agree. I, I totally agree. By the way, when I said one in 17 for Jacksonville, it's because if the NFL ends up expanding to 18 games at some point and Urban Meyer is still there, they still might only win one game because that team has way too many holes and they also just traded or they're linked to trading their number one pick from last year in Henderson. So they just admitted they can't draft either. Good, good luck to you, man. Oh my goodness. Just so of the five, who do you hold the most hope for long term? It's really tough because Mac Jones, I really don't know much about. Right. Because I we knew that Belichick was going to coddle him, and we knew that Belichick was going to keep the game plan simple, a lot of short passes. And they also don't have any weapons. So they haven't really had many deep threats. Yeah, Most see, of that's, New England's... that's part of the problem. These guys, they have, they have no running game. They have nothing to take the pressure off. I think Harris is a decent running back. But the point is that New England, every single pass looks like the Philly game yesterday against Dallas. Every pass is within about five yards of the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah. So you're not really going to accomplish much doing that. And, and you're not, and you're not going to, like... you're not going to confuse any defenses either. No, it looks like Pittsburgh. Yeah. You have a quarterback who's just throwing the ball about four yards at a time, and you're trying to sustain 15-play drives, which is just almost impossible to do regularly. But Jones could have something. I don't really know. I also don't know how much longer Belichick's going to coach. Well, you know the kind of teams that can sustain 15-play drives, Scott? It's like Cleveland, and it's like Dallas. It's the teams... You need an elite offensive line. You need a good running back. Correct. You need some pieces in place. Yes. And they've got they've got none of that really... Thinking about it, at, at any of those places, um, I mean, other than Trey Lance, obviously, but of the four that we talked about, you've got um, you've got Wilson in New York. He's got nothing to work with. I mean, he's That's got some, a couple of decent receivers. Wilson and Warren's a pass. They've, and he's got nothing to work with, although he has a, a decent running back who hasn't done much. I'm giving them passes. Okay. Fields I have to give a pass to because of Nagy, but once again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Lawrence, he makes dumb decisions, but it's also his first three games. I don't think Wilson could have matched up against like three worst teams to start off his career. I mean, you're talking about three defenses that are top 10 right now. You he, got, went, he went against Carolina, New England, and Carolina right now Denver, is the number yeah. one defense in the league in terms of total yards. Right. Then you faced off against New England. Good luck to you because that defense is very good. And Denver's defense is very good too. So we'll I'll wait until Wilson faces off against a Texans or a Jacksonville team, and we'll see if he still looks terrible. But when you're going up against that many good defenses in a row to start your career with no weapons and no offensive line and no running game with a first-year head coach, I'm I would be shocked if he didn't look like garbage at this point. Of those five, who would you, who would you draft first in a redraft? It's tough because I don't know anything about Lance. Okay. Uh, Lance right now looks okay, but of course he's in a great system. And when I say okay, he had a rushing touchdown on fourth and goal at the end of the first half against Green Bay, and he threw a five-yard out route in week one. So I haven't seen him do anything. But Fields is the, Fields is the guy who you can, I'd say, make a case for going last out of those five because – from what I've seen so far, 
I don't really see much. But and we he also did look, he did go last out of those five, by the way. But I'm saying I would I think I'd keep it that way mm-hmm. because I haven't seen anything that he's shown that would change no. my opinion on that order. No. He's not I and he hasn't been I a dynamic to, runner even. If I had to flip anybody, maybe you can make a case for putting Lance first. But once again, the sample size is incomplete. I sure. can't really do anything about that. Yeah, we're this is and this whole segment is basically overreaction overreaction Tuesday. Well, that's the thing that, that you have to mention our rookie quarterbacks, which I got to bring up, is that I don't know if the talent is even relevant. If the system that you're thrust into is complete garbage, you're going to look like complete garbage. Right. Just the way it is. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly like everyone that worked in the Jacksonville system has been thriving or in Chicago, you know. Yeah, so. you talk about every team that we've mentioned. New England's the only team that has, and New England and San Francisco have competence, but New England has no weapons, and Lance is not supposed to start because the coaching staff realizes he's not ready. Scott, how does the best team of the 21st century allow that to happen? Allow themselves to have no offensive weapons for the last what three or four seasons? Well, the truth is, because Brady's last season, be, he, had, he had nobody. It's going to be shocking to some people, but I got to say it, and New England fans know this: Belichick in the first round, is an atrocious drafter. Mm-hmm. He is awful. You know who's supposed to be a really good receiver for this team? Nikhil Harry. Remember him? Yeah. From, uh, How'd that work out? What, Arizona State, right? Yep. How'd that work out? Uh, so far, not well. Go down the line and look at New England's first round picks for the last like 10 years or so. Not good. Awful. Yeah. Later, later rounds, undrafted guys, Belichick throws. Yeah, their home, run, their, home runs hitter, their home run hitters in rounds three and beyond. Yes, but round one, it's usually a disaster. Yep, totally agree. It's the it's the dirty little secret about about the hoodie. So, all right. Well, you know what? That lasted way longer than I thought it was going to. But we've got other stuff to get to. Hey, you guys, stay tuned because we'll be right back after this message. So, Scott, last time we were out in Vegas, every time we were trying to have a nice meal, what is the number one question you kept hearing whenever we were at dinner? Are you going to finish that? What? Appetizers, entrees, sides. You're always asking if I was going to finish what I was eating. Okay. Hey, in my defense, you eat slower than a turtle on Xanax. But, okay, let me make the question a little easier. What's the number one question you would get from people when you tell them you work for Winners and Winers? What's Winners and Winers? Exactly. So what do you tell them? I tell them that it is the place to go for your sports betting needs. They have breakdowns on every single game in a variety of sports, basketball, Football, college football, we know that's coming up. It's been really a great opportunity to just get better at sports betting, and they give you all the opinions that you need. Yeah, see, and the thing I like about it is the fact that they don't just inundate you with numbers that have no context. You know, you go to some places and they just throw numbers, 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 but they don't tell you what they mean, and you just kind of your eyes glaze over. But these guys, not only do they use those same numbers and put them in context, but they're fantastic writers, they're great handicappers, you mentioned college football coming up. That's my favorite time to use winners and winners because they do every FBS game every single week. It is a fantastic site. Scott, what's the best part about winners and winners? It's absolutely free to use. That's right. It is absolutely free to use. Winnersandwinners.com. You absolutely have to check it out. You need to make this site part of your daily handicapping regimen. If you are not doing it, you are absolutely leaving money on the table. So, see, that wasn't that hard at all, right? Sure. You're still getting none of my fries. What? I, I didn't I didn't say a word. I saw you looking at them. 
Seriously, dude, it's it's been like an hour. If you're not going to eat them, oh man, that's brutal. All right, fine. Seriously though, winnersandwiners.com. Go there or be square. Welcome back to the second half hour of Winners and Winners Radio. Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. Well, Scott, as a Chiefs fan, it's a big day for me. Not only was Andy Reid released from the hospital, but it appears that Josh Gordon is going to be coming to the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, he, uh, we were lucky that we have legalized marijuana here in Missouri, so he was. we were certainly on his list. I kid, I kid. He's gone through a lot of stuff. Scott... Since the NFL no longer tests for cannabis, is this like the worst break ever? Is, is this guy just kind of the poor bastard award winner? Just his career just was about eight years too early. Well, you can make the argument that A, that's true, but B, he's now as Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. So maybe he can find a way to get himself a free ring. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. He, I know, man, he was so good with Cleveland. Holy mackerel. When he, when it was he, really about two years. Yeah, he had two. Yeah, he had two really, really good seasons. Um, I actually saw him play. He caught a ball uh, at the end of the game that just about let the Browns come back and beat the Chiefs. But so, uh, as a Chiefs fan, I will tell you that it is pretty much our general manager um, Brett Veach admitting that he doesn't really like any of our receivers other than Tyree Kill. No, I said that. No, what's that? I said that about a week right after we were recapping the Charger game or the Ravens game. I said I didn't think you had a real number two receiver. Well, you know that's the thing. They've they've got guys that just haven't been able to take care of business. Byron Pringle had a horrible game yesterday. He had two drops. Uh, Demarco Robinson, Demarcus Robinson, has the unusual habit of catching the ball and running backwards. Scott, it's the weirdest thing that we've ever seen. And of course, McCall Hardman had a fine game, but they didn't get him open as much as they could have. He had a couple of nice runs on the end of round. Now, we agree that the main issue with the Chiefs is defense, but I right. was harping on the fact that I was not a fan of the depth on this receiving core. No, so. that, and that's true. And that's something that we've talked about here in Kansas City a lot as well. You know, in fact, I even tweeted out with they signed when you signed Josh Gardner, I said, I hope he plays inside linebacker because that's, you know, that's really the real area of need. Now, I know that uh, I would guess the Chiefs aren't done. They're not a team that tends to stand pat during the season. If they see a need, they'll try to address it. I just this don't, is a, don't this know is how much quality is out there. 2.0 signing, isn't it? A different position, but same we'll, idea. We'll see because you know we saw Le'Veon Bell the season before. He looked he looked like he was spent. With, well, I just mean with conceptually. The you signed the veteran who's been around the block a few times, had some troubles. Can, yeah, yeah, hoping he could bring some life into a position group. Yeah, it's and it's a gamble. It's not quite a lottery ticket, but you're playing the hard ways. Put it that way. Um, was that, is that, you think, think it works a, out? We'll see. I mean, you know, he's 30. He hasn't played since what? 2017. Or even if he did play, it was for a game or two. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't played significant. I think he snuck on the, did he sneak on the field for a game or two with Seattle? I'm pretty sure he did for a game or two. So well, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he's got because it's certainly he's going to he's going to be an upgrade if he has anything left in the tank whatsoever. He's also cheap, so you can afford to take the risk and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely true. So Scott, you and I took a victory lap on our Steelers call yesterday. Ben looks done. That team looks done. 
Uh, TJ Watt is hurt right now and that for the defense, and the defense has been no great shakes either. So Bengals receiver Tyler Boyd tweeted on Monday that he said the Steelers quit. They said they had the look in their eye. They were dropping passes there in the fourth quarter. Of course, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers nation took to Twitter to deny it and, and say it's not true. My question is, did they quit, Scott? And follow-up question, should they quit? Well, for the record, I think that Pittsburgh's front office quit when they brought Roethlisberger back for another season. So, yes, I think they quit already because we both thought that it was a wasted season if you brought Big Ben back. So, yeah, do I think they quit? It's really tough to tell when teams quit in a game because, of course, the players still want to make plays. They want to do – they're not going to officially roll over and take kneel – they're not going to kneel down on the ball. But you could tell that the wind in their sails was gone I'd say around halftime, right? I mean, once Chase caught the second touchdown, it was a wrap at that point. I mean, you can go up double digits against Pittsburgh. It might take Pittsburgh two games to score double digits. So it was over. Pittsburgh rolled over. And that team has a lot of problems. I used to blame Tomlin for all the issues. And truth is, I think you could because he hasn't adapted to today's game at all. Right. Within the last 15 years. But Big Ben... He can't play. If I'm going to roast Cam Newton for not being good enough to be a starting quarterback last year, because he clearly wasn't, and New England, as a result, was not a very good football team last year. Don't I have to say the same thing about Big Ben this year? Because every game you start him with, you're giving yourself a significant disadvantage. Absolutely true. And let me ask you this tough question. Who would you rather have starting for you right now, Ben Roethlisberger or Cam Newton? Oh, that's tough. <laughs> Told you it was a tough question. Am I purpose? Am I trying to win or am I just tanking? Trying to win? Well, yeah, they, they wanted the tank. They'd start me. No, if you're trying. You're, you're trying to win. You're, those... you're Pittsburgh. You got a great defense. You think you still got a shot? Cam or Ben? I would take Cam solely because of the rushing upside. Okay. If both of them can't throw, I want somebody that can actually maybe buy a little bit of time in the pocket, but you're pencing yourself in for about seven wins tops. And that's with a pretty good supporting cast. Yeah. Agreed. And the problem, the problem with Ben, the way he plays and, and has, he has so little mobility and he won't he has go, so little mobility. And he won't and go he still, down. Yeah. He, he has so little mobility and he gets banged up every year because he takes a beating. Right. And also he still has that gunslinger mentality where two times a game or so, He'll see if his arm still still has it. And the ball's underthrown by like 10 yards and it's picked off. I mean, am I wrong? Because you look at some throws, especially with Big Ben lately, he'll throw it into double coverage and some throws maybe he could have made 10 years ago are just flutter balls at this point, right? Yeah, that's I I completely agree. It's it's kind of sad to watch, except I I've never been a big Ben fan as a quarterback or as a human being. So I'm not going to say I get joy out of it, but it doesn't, I don't feel bad like I do for Cam, who always seemed like a, a pretty good cat and, you know, good, good interview, always had this, this worst nazi clothes, seemed like a good teammate. Roethlisberger, Cam Newton seems like one of those guys, like if you met him somewhere, you could hang out and have a beer with him. Roethlisberger the seems, only issue seems I have like Cam he'd be Newton too arrogant. is the ridiculous font he uses on Instagram. That's basically it. Okay. Well, I think we're diving, uh, we're, we're diving pretty deep there then to uh, That's what I'm saying. Like to the, According to everything about Cam, he shows up to practice early. Of course, everyone knows the workout routine. 
I'm not saying Big Ben doesn't work out because I know he lost weight going to the offseason, but mm-hmm. is he a good teammate? I don't even know if he's a good teammate or not. I don't know. I mean, I got – Have we heard anything about Big Ben being a good teammate over the years? I haven't. I, I, I haven't either. I haven't um... – I haven't heard anybody come to Ben's defense or Didn't anything Big like Ben that. have a radio show or an appearance where he just roasted Antonio Brown like three years ago, which yeah, caused they, Brown to leave the team. Yeah. They had a, they had a, a him. I, it, I almost think him and Le'Veon Bell both had a problem with Roethlisberger. I don't know. if I wouldn't a- surprise me if, if Brown and Bell did, but I know Big Ben did go public several times and call out receivers or skill position players in public. Right on radio shows and whatever. So I don't think he actually is that good of a teammate in comparison to some other guys. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I would, I would, I would take ham in a heartbeat. Now the only, the only tiebreaker might be Ben knows the system, obviously, you know, he's been, although this is a new, this is a theoretical team, right? Well, this is a new system. So, you know, he's got three, he's got three games in the system. Cam Newton has zero. So they wouldn't be actually starting at that big of a deficit. So let's just say it's never going to happen. If you want to make the playoffs, Put Rudolph in. Agreed. Agreed. At least try. Rudolph you... might, might not be able to lead you there, but your percentage goes up. Ben start over under 10 and a half games. I think they're going to ride and die with him. I'm going to go over. Okay. Just because of loyalty, even though it's a monumental waste of time for everyone involved. I'm not, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not even sure they bench him. I'm just not sure that he doesn't have injuries. I was going to say, unless they sell the peck injury and say, you know what? He can't go. He's not ready. And then wink, wink, Rudolph. Let's see what you got. We'll see. All right. Interesting. Speaking of horrible coaches, we talked about him a little bit earlier, but we need to kind of explore it from a gambling angle. Matt Nagy says all three quarterbacks, Scott, are on the table for, this, quarterbacks. for this Sunday. You got, you, you got Dalton. Uh-huh. You got Fields. Oh, that's right. Who's the... Who's the third one? Never fails Nick Foles, buddy. Oh, that's right. They're still paying him those millions of They're dollars. still to be the paying him QB1 money. So, you know, uh, Dalton still has the knee. Uh, Justin Fields, he has... What do you have, Scott? What do you, well, I hope Dalton still has both knees, but he's got an injury to one knee. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. What happened to Fields? I know he's got some sort of... He was banged up. I thought he was just bad. Okay, no, he's he's some sort of I want to say upper body, shoulder, arm, something. Well, he should. He was sacked nine times. So <laughs> right. I'm he needed. He, I'm assuming he needed an ice bath or two. And and you know, if you were sacked nine times, you were probably knocked down at least four or five more. Especially on since he can run, I'm sure he got shoved out of bounds a couple times. Mm, yeah, he's probably he's probably one big bruise there on Monday. So as far as Nagy goes. Should betters be running, or should they just be walking briskly to the window to bet Nagy as the first coach fired? I'm just saying, if Chicago, no matter what quarterback they have, loses to Detroit on Sunday, they will either leave him behind, or they will throw him out of the plane. There's no way that he's going to survive if they lose to Detroit in this game. Now, do I think they're going to beat Detroit? No, that's my hot take. I like Detroit to win the game, but... We can talk about that later on in the week when we do some early look lines and stuff like that. But as a whole, we said going into the year, the two choices that we like to get fired were going to be Vic Fangio and Nagy. Nagy was our favorite, and then we threw in Fangio at number two. Right. And Denver's 3-0, so he's safe, even though the combined record of those three teams is 0-9. 
So I don't think Denver's very good. I think the schedule is very favorable. Is but the, we can talk about them another time. Is the NFL a genius for their their scheduling for their first place schedules, their last place schedules? Are they are they a genius for trying to achieve parity that way? Does it make it more I, interesting? I think it's selective recall because you have a lot of teams with turnover. Where Carolina, for example, was a third place or fourth place team, and that team's actually pretty good. But they're three and zero. Their schedule's been somewhat easy. But the point is that. You sign and you sign some players, you change the coaching staff, and you also draft well. And suddenly your team's a lot better than your ranking was last year. Yeah, the Broncos but, did none of those things, though. Anyway, to go back to the Broncos briefly, Fangio's safe. Don't even bother. Three and zero because of an easy schedule. Meanwhile, you look at Nagy. That team made the playoffs last year, which people forgot about. Shout out to Trubisky for being the Nickelodeon MVP winner, the MVP winner in that loss to New Orleans, but. We thought Nagy was terrible, and we knew that they were going to stick with Dalton, and we knew that it was going to be a disaster. And Dalton was playing okay, not that well. He got injured. We said they would fire him by the bye week because we thought they might go one and six mm-hmm. to start the year, one and five. Right. I was penciling Detroit in as a win. It's now a loss. I don't think they're going to beat Detroit. You? I think there's I think a, Detroit is very, very live. Let's put it that way. Yeah, they're they're a spunky team, Scott. This well, they should have beat Baltimore. So yeah, they had they they had them beat for absolute certain. Although, you know, that was kind of weird the way they got there. But you know, Still, I, I, I wouldn't you know, say fourth, they outplayed fourth Baltimore. Fourth and nineteen, followed by a sixty-six yard field goal. You I know they the they were talking today that they were a ninety-seven percent chance to win when it was fourth and nineteen. And ninety nine percent chance to win when it was he was trying the sixty six yard field goal, which well, I, I thought was that. weird that the percentage went down after you completed your fourth and nineteen. Well, I tweeted it out uh, after the Monday night game with the Lions against Green Bay, and I thought the silver lining was the Lions actually look competent. They're just not very talented, but they have a system. They actually look like they're somewhat organized. By by the way, Scott, was that the worst pass, the most pointless pass that Lamar Jackson threw? On the first down after they compl- after they'd completed the the long first down and then stopped the clock, you weren't you- a fan of him not trying the out route to get an extra five yards. Well, that was allegedly what he was doing, but he just threw it out of bounds. I'm sorry, that ball was 40 yards overthrown. He should not admit publicly he was trying to throw an out route. Yeah, it was I, I, I did. He clearly threw that out of bounds. It was pointless. It was like in the old days when they'd have to before spiking before you, you'd have to do that to stop the clock. Well, that's a separate point. But to go back to Nagy okay. full circle because to go quickly. He should be fired within the next week or two. Yes. If they lose to Detroit, he should be the heavy favorite because Joe Judge in the Giants with the Giants is right now the second favorite, I would say. But everyone expected the Giants to be terrible. Yeah. Chicago was a playoff team last year. They're still thinking about making it back there for some reason. I don't know why. But yeah, I think Nagy's kind of a foregone conclusion that it's not going to work. When you are an offensive coordinator with offensive background and your team no matter who's a quarterback, has one total passing yard. You should not even be coaching anymore. Yeah, let's let's review that just for the folks that, that weren't paying attention to that game. Justin Fields went 6 for 20, had 68 yards passing, but he was sacked nine times for a neg- for negative 67 yards. Of course, that comes off your passing yards. So he nets one yard of passing they had... 46 40, yards? 46 yards rushing. So that 47 yards of total offense. How do you have 47 total yards after 1930? Nope. 
nope, nope. You know, you can they after the forward pass, there should be no reason for forty six yards of total offense. That's correct. Ridiculous. I would, I think I would have fired him on the spot, Scott. Should have fired him at halftime. <laughs> That's absolutely true. By the way, the Bears are a three point favorite. The early line. At Give me home. the lines at home. I don't care. Home, road, Mars. Give me give me the Lions. Okay, good enough. By the way, guys, you are listening to Winners and Winners Radio. Mm, give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. So, you know, we're going to talk more in-depth college tomorrow with our buddy Chris. But just a quick recap, because we kind of spent a lot of time on the NFL on our show yesterday. Scott, what were your biggest takeaways over the college weekend, biggest surprises for you? Uh, for me, biggest surprise was how good Arkansas was. I picked Arkansas to win on okay. the college show. That They were one of my underdogs. I actually recommended them and NC State. So I actually had a pretty good weekend you, recommending some long shots. You, you and I line. talked about NC State having, having being a live play against Clemson. Yeah. Absolutely. I said, absolutely I said preseason, I think that's a top 25 team. Mm-hmm. So I was impressed by their performance. They won. Arkansas, I thought, would win, but... That game was somewhat close late because of a long touchdown by Spiller in the second half. That game was a wrap. This Arkansas team yeah. is good. Yeah. This is a good football team. They absolutely are. Oklahoma skittering by West Virginia by three. I'm not surprised. Can we... I, I thought I, I can't have any faith in them beating Kansas State next week. Well, the Kansas State last couple seasons has been Oklahoma's kryptonite, so yep. <laughs> we'll see. Colorado State looking like a competent team against Iowa for most of the day. I, I think that says more about Iowa than Colorado State, but Co- Iowa won the game. Nobody really cares. One takeaway can make an argument is that Rutgers is actually not that bad. Yeah, I don't. I, I just yeah, I just I just don't know what we have in Michigan. That's what, I, I agree with that, and of course we're going to find out next week against Wisconsin. But you want actual takeaways. I didn't really see many shockers just to go through because the upsets that happened. How about Georgia Tech doubling up North Carolina? Well, I was going to say North Carolina being bad, I feel like we already had, I'd say, flickers of knowledge on that after the Virginia Tech opener. Well, and they, and they were and they were down they were down at halftime against Virginia. Yeah, and Virginia, if you watch them against Wake Forest. Wake Forest might be good, but damn, Virginia is not not good at all. Defense is defense is terrible, and that that Wake Forest defense that's for real, buddy. Yeah. So the point is, you can go down the line and try to find some takeaways, but I wasn't really shocked by that much because I picked the upsets that happened in the top twenty-five between uh, Oklahoma State as well. We both had, we both thought NC State was live. We thought Arkansas was live, and all three of them won. Yeah. So I'm not really surprised that much, but. Georgia Georgia State just about pulled off the unthinkable against Auburn. Actually had the lead in the fourth quarter before. I think I was probably overrating Auburn a little bit, but I also pumped the brakes when they lost to Penn State because I just watched the game and Bo Nix is still going to do Bo Nix things. But were you, really, were you really surprised by much? Because I really didn't see anything that I found truly, truly shocking. No, the the Georgia Tech, the Georgia Tech game was surprising. Georgia State having the lead in the fourth quarter against Auburn – that was, that was a big that was a big surprise, but I mean, I just mean based on your perception of teams. Uh, Baylor over Iowa State. Okay, that that one maybe I was just clinging to Iowa State hope. Yeah, but 
that team's just not very good. No, they're they're just not. They've got some real talent on the offensive side of the ball, but they just can't seem to stop when they get the big stops when they need to. So that and that should be that might be my main takeaway. Are we sure that Dan Campbell isn't just Shaw 2.0? No, he just had a bunch of pro hype to go to the NFL and be a, a genius head coach. Stayed in college, and yeah. the people just realized, you know, this guy's kind of just average in college. Mm, stay it's tuned. Possible. Stay tuned for that. We'll see. But yes, that's certainly certainly very possible. So, and of course, we'll talk about more in the college season as the as the week goes on. We'll have a break it down a little bit more tomorrow, and then of course we'll do our college show on Friday. Get that get that posted for you guys. That's a lot of fun. We go through and take a look at the at the top twenty five. So. Scott, let's talk about some sports betting, shall we? Let's do it. Got a pretty full baseball card. We are coming down to it, brother, as uh, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So let's start with a game that um, has a great deal of importance to at least one team, and uh, actually both teams here. Let's start with your hometown team. It's the New York Yankees. Against the Toronto Blue Jays, Scott, is this pretty much an elimination series here? I'm actually going to say no. I think it is for Toronto. Okay. But the Yankees did give themselves a little bit of cushion after the sweep against Boston. Okay. Of course, Boston plays Baltimore over the weekend. So if it gets ugly for the Yankees, Boston should sweep. So we'll see what happens there. But the Yankees of right now can afford to maybe lose two out of three. Of course, it's definitely not ideal. But they're not dead in the they're not dead in the water. Okay. If Toronto loses two out of three, I think they're dead in the water. It is very important. Is very important for the Yankees to win at least one game in this series because if correct, they, and if, I think Toronto needs to win at least two. Yes. If if they, if Toronto if Toronto wins two of three, they will be a game back of the Yankees. Uh, if they were to sweep them, they would be a game ahead. So it's that. It's that difference between winning two or three or winning three straight. It makes a difference of two complete games. So tonight we've got uh, Hunjin Ryu going for the Blue Jays, and we've got your old buddy uh, Jamison Tyone going for the Pinstripers. Toronto's the home team. They are the favorite here. Scott opened up minus 119. That's pretty much where it stays. A little bit of Toronto money coming in, but not a ton. Total open nine and a half. That's where it sits for the most part. You're starting to see some juice nines. What's your feeling on this one? I have to like the over. It's really the only way I'm looking at this game. You can make an argument both starting pitchers are decent, but when you actually keep in mind when the last time these guys pitched was, there's a reason to believe they might struggle, if not be on a pitch count. Tyone has not pitched since September 6th. That was against Toronto. He's been injured, so he has not performed. Okay. And Ryu just came off the I.L., because he was a complete liability for the last couple of outings. And he has not pitched since the 17th. But the last two outings he had, four and a third, 12 earned runs. So if I don't know how both pitchers are going to look after coming off the IL in their first outing, both offenses have talent to exploit bad pitching. Give me the over. You? I'm kind of with you. My problem is Toronto's I, kind of gone I, yeah. in the deep freeze as far as scoring runs go. They've they have Ryu's also been really good against the Yankees, but mm-hmm. I can't buy into pitchers who are off of a decent layoff there because okay. the pitch count might be a factor. 
give me the over because four four push, which could be a very close game. That's just guaranteed X running over. I don't hate that. I also I also like the Yankees at plus money there. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lay it with Ryu, even though Toronto's dominated recently against the Yankees. But Yankees might have found something against Boston. We'll see. Yeah, this is a team. Yankees put up 37 runs over their last six, so they're averaging about 6.2 runs per game. I, I like that. Uh, they're a little better formed than that Toronto offense. They've cooled off just a little bit. Of course, the Yankees, as you know, have won six straight. I'll play. I'll, you give me the you give me the team that's won a half dozen in a row against a, a pitcher coming off the IL that was dreadful his last two. I'll take the plus money there. Yeah, I agree with taking the value at the Yankees, but I do like the over more than anything else. All right. I'm um, trying to look and see if we've got another one here with the playoff teams as Tampa Bay goes against Houston. Michael Waka Waka goes for the uh, Rays against Jose Urquidy for the Houston Astros. This game opened up minus 142. Pretty good amount of Tampa money coming in, Scott, now minus 131. Houston is the favorite, by the way. Nine is your total across the board. Starting to get juiced to the over, so there may be a nine and a half there before the day is over. <sighs> you know, I'm just not a believer in Waka, but he's he's been okay. He's been okay. Do you see the Tampa Bay Rays as a decent play here at plus money? I think you have to consider taking a team with one of the best records in the league at plus money. Now, Houston at home, of course, is very good, as Houston has won 47 of their first 75 road games. But Houston has lost four in a row. Home, you mean. The offense has not performed at all. Right. They've scored less than four runs in each of the last four. Meanwhile, Tampa's won four in a row, and Tampa just finds ways to win games, plus they're still fighting for home field. So you can make an argument they're still playing for something. I'll take Tampa plus money because I don't really want to back Houston right now. I'm with you. I'm I'm I, I think I'm I'm with you on that one as well. All right, buddy. Well, let's take a look and see what we've got cooked up for today. You and I have put our heads together. We have come up with our favorite play of the day. Spoiler alert, it's going to be baseball, because that's what we got here on Tuesday. Scott, I know uh it's time to put on your bib overalls, climb on board that tractor, and get ready to bet the farm. All right, my friend, we did have a farm play yesterday. How did that work out for us? We had the Mariners on the money line at minus 106 with Flexen on the mound. And since Flexen was on the mound, they obviously won. All right, very good. We liked Flexen. Joey doesn't matter how he pitches. Scott gave up four runs in five innings. Nah, doesn't care. They were down four nothing. Doesn't matter. Mariners put up 13 on the boards. They end up winning that one 13 to 4. An easy farm play, guys. So let's find out what we got cooked up for today, shall we? We are going to take a look again in the major leagues. And Scott, we're going to play a team that is on a 16-game winning streak at plus money. That's right. Can you believe it? It's the St. Louis Cardinals kids with their ace on the mound and Adam Wainwright catching plus 105 at DraftKings. Cardinals won 16 straight. The Brewers, they just won the division on Sunday. They're probably still hungover, had an off day on Monday. This is a complete letdown and hangover spot against a team that is still competing for a playoff spot. Brandon Woodruff going for the Brewers. He's faced the Cardinals once this season. Not good on the road. Five innings pitched, 10.80 ERA. Wainwright, just flat dealing. Last month, even better. 37 and two-thirds innings pitched, 22.87 ERA, 4-0 record. Scott, plus money here with the Cardinals. 
give it to me all day long. And that is going to do it for our Bet the Farm play, and that is going to do it for our show today. We appreciate you guys checking us out. As always, don't forget to tell your friends. Come back and see us tomorrow on Winners and Winers Radio. Take care, everybody.